Vern Gagne's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar maids. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. Oh, yeah. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? <laughs> this is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey! Look out! Hey, look out is absolutely right because we are the preeminent AWA podcast. We like to call ourselves AWA Unleashed. And oh my goodness, if you guys could have heard the pre-production meeting, whew, you talk about Unleashed. That's um, It makes Marty Jannetty look tame compared to what we were talking about earlier. But nonetheless, here we are, episode 103. So glad to have you guys along with us. My name is Chris Tubbs. I'm going to bring in Mick Karch and Polish Joe. What's going on, guys? Morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I, I found out an interesting fact, again, about the show open. I'm always getting mm-hmm. something new uh, that, hey, look out, he's coming. Uh, that was actually the manager of a buffet that saw Otto Vance come in. And uh, he wanted, <laughs> wanted to warn the staff. So that, that one goes back to 1982. Thank you, Joe. You know... When you said that, a good match maybe not would have happened back in the day, but take these two guys, put them into today and the way they do more gimmick matches. Mm-hmm. Otto Vance, it's going to be a three-way. Otto Vance versus Jerry Blackwell versus Andre the Giant in a McDonald's eating contest. Mm. Wow. Wow, that would have been how you end the Team Challenge series right there. The only thing that I would do for sure before that would be to buy stock in McDonald's and just do a short sell afterwards. Ooh, no doubt about you? you know, that, that's why you get the big bucks because you come up with these trillion dollar ideas. <laughs> yep, that's why the AWA went under. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh boy. Here well, we go. Here we go. Hey, cheers, guys. And if you notice, I got my coffee, uh, my coffee cup. If uh, you want a coffee cup, that says you're a slick Mick guy, go to our brand new merchandise page. Of course, I'm going to shill because that's what I do, right? No, we we want to we want you guys to be a part of it. And a part of it, we've got a brand new, a brand new line of merchandise, you guys. It's really cool. Tpublic.com. You can see it right there on the screen. Tpublic.com slash user slash unleashed plus shirts, mugs, phone cases whatever you want. Again, I've got my coffee and a slick mick cup. I may or may not be drinking uh, other uh, substances or uh, other liquids in that. I've also got, I'm going to do the uh, Polish Joe. I've got my brand new Unleashed shirt. Unleashed, established 2022. Uh, Mick's got the uh, the retro Unleashed hoodie. So we've got that. By the way, not only with that, we've got um, a brand new membership tier. For YouTube, which is super cool, you guys, because you get access to the pod a day early, which is nice. I mean, people love Tuesdays, but you can get it on Monday. Plus, we're going to have some exclusive watch alongs. Uh, we're going to have 
some uh, some live chats, and we are going to have just exclusive things that you can't get on there. I'm gonna put the banner down there across the uh, across the screen. I'm gonna put that down there. So if you want some uh, some more information, uh, let me uh, right there. And I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put the graphic on the screen, you guys, as well, because there's this is really cool. I mean, for what for basically five dollars a month i mean look at what you're getting you get access to the pot of day early yeah you get the monthly watch along you get a live chat plus i will send you probably the most important thing is you want a handwritten letter from me and the fun fact if you can actually tell me what i wrote because my handwriting is chicken shit but i'm gonna give it to you i'm gonna give you a magnet you're not gonna get all of them but you're gonna get a magnet Plus, you're going to get a sticker. Oh, my God. I, I I feel like I'm just shilling like crazy. But you can have a sticker, too. There you go. All of that. Just sign up for a uh, membership tier. Five minutes in, and I pretty much shilled everything. The only thing missing is Jerispeed. <laughs> you know, Chris, you did a good job, though. It wasn't like those old WCW, you know, call-ins, 1-900 numbers, where they uh, advertised for 25 minutes and then told you that uh, – Buff Bagwell was on the shelf. Thanks for calling. <laughs> uh, well, Buff, bu- bu- you got Elf on a shelf. You got Buff on a shelf. You had Judy Bagwell on a pole. I mean, my God. No wonder WCW went out of business. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was uh, Judy Bagwell on a forklift. That, uh, I'm sorry. She was on a forklift. Uh, she wants to have your mom uh, on a forklift. Great idea, man. We really do have a good show coming up, don't we? Yeah, we oh, we, we're recording this? Yeah. Uh, three, two, one. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome into the preeminent podcast. Da, 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 da. Okay. Let's get into it. It's a uh, no DQ&A. We've got some fun guests coming up. Uh, we'll, you know, hopefully when we lock those in, we'll uh, we'll tell you about them. But we do have some fun things. But the no DQ&A, guys, this is always one of the more popular ones. It is because uh, we interact with the people. And, uh, you know, some of the questions are off the wall. Some of them rely on the, uh, the old fart here to go back in the archives and come up with, uh, with some answers. And uh, it, it's good. I love this. My, my favorite shows. Yeah. Oh, by the way, before we do that, I, I, Joe, I did not know that you were a manager at one point. I was. Mick, you remember Polish Joe's uh, time of the – a very uh, – I feel like this was one of the – Less talked about tag teams. Kind of uh, t- tell us what's going on here. Oh, Polish Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I've got four nipples. One's bigger than the other. Yeah. Well, can you can you read those for me, Joe? I don't know what their names are. <laughs> Nip and pull. <laughs> I believe you've got uh, hard on the left and big on the right, and they're both hairy. Wow. And you know they had a uh, they had a short run, uh, not in the AWA. This was, I believe, in the Southwest United States. Uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck uh, was going to manage them, but then Polish Joe uh, stepped in, and gave more money. But uh, yeah, they're legendary. They made the PWI top twelve thousand, and uh, that's that's excellent, excellent. Didn't know, Joe. You're a, you're something. Talk about, you know, I will have to say this. I was probably the first manager to manage 
shall we say, enhancement talent, because I think I was oh and three thousand managing these two. Oh, that's a you left time. Where did you get that, by the way, Chris? Uh, that was our friend Matt Kessling, who uh, he came up with the, uh, the the quad box with the the drawing. He's kind of become our uh, impromptu artist, so uh, we may periodically have. So if you want to check it out, I mean, Matt Kessling does a fantastic job uh, with that. And uh, yet, Joe, congratulations on your managerial career, buddy. I did not know that you were a you were a manager, man. Great job, humanoids. I tell you. Great job. I'm gonna Great. have to if he puts that on a t-shirt, I might have to get one of those. Might have to get two, one for each nipple. Uh, yes, all right. Okay, Speaking, on to the entertaining wow. part yeah. of the show. Speaking of art, Joe, we're gonna go to you from Art Nichols. Uh during the time you were in the AWA, did you have contact with Michael P.S. Hayes and wondering what kind of a guy he was? Uh, I did. It was very minimal. The Freebirds came. They didn't live here. Um, they came in for shots. And so the only interactions I really had uh, were, were doing promos with them. They were at a time where uh, even though Vern tried to kayfabe me into the early 2000s, believe it or not, well after kayfabe, um, it became less and less of, of kayfabe, but uh, I wasn't involved in uh, any of those early booking meetings and certainly production-wise, um, Vern would let Mike Shields know, who was the director when I first started. Um, as far as what kind of guy Michael Hayes was, I liked him. He was... Um, you know, nice and cordial, but what I remember most was just that gravelly, deeper voice that just sort of commanded uh, the area around him. Uh, the other two Freebirds were, they were more mellow. Uh, Michael was truly the leader of that, uh, of that trio. But overall, good. He was a decent guy, and I got to give him credit. I mean, he has been with the WWE. I think he's still with them. Mickey, would you know? I believe so. I believe you know, work working, uh, you know, in in the uh, in the offices behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, and he's been there for a long time, and that's not easy to do in any business, let alone the wrestling business. So, without a doubt, I mean, Michael has not only paid his dues, but he has survived very well in professional wrestling. Yeah, I, I think a really good transformation too, because you look at the, the, the gimmick of the Freebirds, you know, in the day of the Confederacy and everything, and, and just how society has changed. And, and yeah, to go from that and to be successful in the WWE is like super, it's it's impressive to hear about all, everything that, uh, that Michael Hayes has, has done in the business. Uh, this one for you, Mick, from Michael Bellamy, longtime fan here. He remembers a guy from Missouri feuding with the Crusher in the early 60s, Rocky Someone, one of his first live shows. Do you remember who that might be? Of course. Uh, This would be Rocky Hamilton. And there's some interesting history to Rocky Hamilton. Larry Rocky Hamilton uh, did most of his wrestling. He wrestled for a long time in the southern part of the United States, very big in in Florida and that area. That's Rocky on the left, and that is his brother, 
Jody Hamilton on the right. The interesting thing about this, Rocky Hamilton, Jody Hamilton, Jody was one of the masked assassins uh, in the Georgia Territory, one of the great masked men of all time. And uh, he is also, Jody is the, or was the uncle of referee Nick Patrick uh, in WCW. So there is a lineage there. Uh, yes, Rocky Hamilton back in 1963 uh, wrestled in the AWA, had a feud with the Crusher. And as a matter of fact, their feud culminated in a loser leaves the building on a mule match. <laughs> and needless to say, uh, Crusher won that match and Rocky went out, uh, you know, some would say an ass on top of an ass, but uh, Rocky <laughs> left the building. And uh, but he, he was good stuff, big, tough guy and a long, successful career in the AWA and elsewhere. You know, I got to just comment on one thing about the loser leaves the building on a mule match. Uh, I, I often hear old school talk about how today's wrestling is different. And it is production wise, wrestling wise, gimmick wise. These gimmick matches have lasted forever. <laughs> I've never even heard of a leaving the building on a mule match. So before yeah. you know, before you sit there and bash today's wrestling, and there are mm -hmm. certainly a lot of things that can be bashed about it for those. I just say it's different or modernized. This kind of shit has been going on for decades remember professional wrestling started in the circus in the carnival yeah it, and you're absolutely right and there were tar and feather matches back in the day uh you know so yeah it's been going on the only difference of course is that today it's violence back then it was some kind of a unique funny caveat. goofy funny like the, like the weasel suit exactly. like that 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 was fun people were entertained yeah i i do feel like it does have a, it does have a little bit of a, a, a tinge of a little more intense rather than the, you know, rather than the, the fun, haha, -ha, let's make fun of the, of the bad guy sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. And, but any, that was a Missouri style match, I believe at Rocky challenge crusher and said the loser is going to leave here on a, on a jackass. And by God, it was Rocky that left. Mm-hmm. This one is for uh, all of us from Roberta Stern. Uh, one of these, who uh, out of the two, Midnight Rockers or the High Flyers? Uh, I'll let you guys go first. High Flyers, without a doubt. Okay. <coughs> I, I guess I got to say, in what manner? Just who do I like better? Who do I think were better wrestlers? Better, you know, overall, I... To me, it's a toss-up just for, for their in-ring stuff. But um, because I'm more old school, I'll give the nod to the high flyers. But the Rockers were good. They were good. But as we knew from Marty, we know from Marty's interview, mm -hmm. oh, they just like to take part in shenanigans, shall we say. Yeah, I'll oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think what, what the the – the delineation here, I think the, the Rockers had this tinge of gimmick. You know, they were great wrestlers, great in-ring performers. Certainly Rose and Summers carried them to some great matches. But you had the Midnight Rockers gimmick. 
Uh, the high flyers were more technical wrestlers. You know, uh, Vern trained and brought him into the business. So there was more of a, a sense of serious wrestling as opposed to the rockers. I think the high flyers were just incredibly underrated, uh, even, even as champs. So that, that'd be my choice. Yeah, and, I agree with the underrated part, by the way. And I would go, I, I remember the Midnight Rockers. Yeah, the, the feud with Rose and Summers and the bloodbath at the showboat. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what everybody remembers if, if you go to one thing in the AWA. But I remember them a lot more in the WWF. Uh, just in terms of what they meant to the promotion and, and you know, being part of, I think, more memorable uh, more memorable feuds and and more of a more of an influence. I would have to go with the High Flyers, just and I didn't. Admittedly, I didn't see them in their heyday, but I remember Jim Brunzel more with Brian Blair. So sure. and so I, when I go back and I watch, I would also choose the uh, the High Flyers over the Midnight Rockers. But that's just because to me the Midnight Rockers again where I saw. Uh, we're more in the, 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 the WWF. There you go. Uh, let's go to you, Mick, from uh, Rick Christofferson. He remembers a tag team from the old AWA days that always said they had the secret that was going to win them the AWA tag team titles. Was that Larry Hennig and Harley Race? It was not Larry Hennig and Harley Race because uh, Larry and Harley did win the AWA tag team championship and they didn't have any secrets. It was actually Larry Hennig and Lars Anderson, uh, Larry Hainimi. And they always claimed that they had the secret. They didn't tell anybody what it was that was going to take them to the AWA Tag Team Championship. That's Lars Anderson on the left, Larry Hennig on the right. And uh, it was a well-kept secret because, number one, they didn't win the Tag Team Championship. And number two, nobody ever found out what the secret was. So uh, it, at least on one level, they kept their word. They had a secret. On the other level, they did not win the tag team championship. So there you go. Not Harley Race. It was Lars Anderson. Secrets? You know, never mind. I, I have a question, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Uh, this is for the, the three of us from Todd Mason. Just wondering about the memories of the official publication from the 80s, which was called Vern Gagne's AWA Pro Wrestling Report. Did either of you guys make any contributions to the publication during your time at the AWA and was wondering if you guys kept any, is there somewhat hard to come by? He has one in his collection, which uh, has one of the individuals that we talked about earlier, uh, Michael Hayes and the Freebirds on the cover. Vern Gagne's pro wrestling report. And this is a uh, early 1980s publication. It was good. I mean, Vern worked in concert with uh, the late Jim Melby wrestling historian and journalist. And he put together, you know, kind of like a 12, 15, 20 page uh, publication that they sold at the arenas. And again, it was very good. Uh, the AWA arena shows had gone from localized four-page programs to a generic uh, all over the country, same program, but with a different lineup insert. And then they went to Pro Wrestling Report, and uh, it was good stuff. Uh, I don't know how many. I think it ran for about three, four years. I have a few of them laying around somewhere. I did not actually contribute any, pub any uh, publicity or anything that I can remember 
Maybe they used some pictures that I sent in. I don't know. But it was good. It was very, very well done. And, of course, Bobby Heenan uh, put it over on television by coming out and saying you could line your birdcage with it. So uh, that's uh, – but, yeah, it was it was good. And I know some are out there. There are collectors that have the whole set. I agree it was good. Uh, it, was, uh, it started before my time with the AWA, but I was a fan at the time. And whenever I went to the matches at the Civic Center, I would certainly buy one of them. As far as my involvement uh, with the Pro Wrestling Report, um, my only contribution was moving boxes in the studio from one area to another because I had to change sets when we were, we were doing superstars of wrestling for the AWA, the show that I got my Polish Joe uh, moniker from. Um, but that was it. I didn't have any direct involvement other than uh, doing manual labor. You know, it was interesting. Vern had a column in that publication too. And I believe Jim Melby ghost wrote uh, the column for Vern. I don't think Vern wanted to sit down and, you know, write a column in 1984. So, uh, but very good stuff. If you get a chance, uh, get a copy. Agreed. All right. This is uh, for you guys from Ryan Ellett. Uh, did the AWA have much in the way of secondary belts or did Vern not see much use for them? Uh, I know uh, something that we've kind of talked about periodically is maybe a uh, kind of a, a present to Greg is kind of one of the main questions that I think people have had with it as well. Kind of explain to me um, what I'm referring to there, Mick. This was the International Television Championship, and Vern uh, created it. And th this is my time in the AWA, so it's 1987. And Greg won the, uh, the finals of a tournament over Adrian Adonis to win that international TV title. Uh, yeah, he did create that for Greg, and it was he wanted to give Greg something on an individual level. Of course, Greg and Brunzel had had the AWA Tag Team Championship. Vern was smart enough to know that there would be a lot of backlash if he gave Greg the singles title in the AWA. So they gave him this uh, international TV title. Also, of course, George, or George, <laughs> yeah, uh, Joe, you will know this very well. Uh, there was the Sergeant Slaughter America's Heavyweight Championship uh, that they devised for Sarge II in the mid-1980s. So, yeah, there were some secondary belts, but they really didn't amount to too much. And, of course, there's the other one, the Light Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. Um, the, the wrestler that will remain nameless, I believe, kept it for a while. Um, but when I think of the Light Heavyweight Championship, I think of Mr. Electricity, yeah. Steve Regal. Yeah. Yep. No but that, that was about it. Uh, I think those were the... Only three, I think in Vern's mind, the women's championship would have been considered a lesser one, but that just sadly and unfortunately was the way that promoters thought of women's wrestling back in the day. It was really when it was first, women's wrestling was first starting to take off, um, was I, in the mid 80s. And I would prefer that scenario to something like AEW today, where you have how many championships you can't even keep them straight way too many way too many belts yeah bastardizes the 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 thought of having a title in my mind well it, it does you've got what the trios championship the mid-atlantic championship the international i mean i can't even keep track of them every i mean it's it's always a special announcement where 
it's either Jinder Mahal's getting a title shot, how come, or uh, there's a new belt. Those are exactly. like the uh, the big announcements. There you go. Uh, here's a, and I really want AEW to succeed. Don't get me wrong. I WWE needs a viable competitor, uh, but right now they are lapping the competition. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, here's a two part for you, Joe. Um, this is from Jeff Sharkey, and hopefully I'm going to keep this so. We only do have an hour, so you know, make uh, Jeff. Jeff likes to get into details. I'll call him the Nick Bockwinkle of fans. Well, I'm glad that he doesn't use big words because otherwise we wouldn't even be able to, to put this out here. You'd never uh, get on the air. Yeah. Recently, Jerry Sags uh, was on a podcast and spoke about the Christmas 1986 show. And by the way, if you have something to say, as I'm in the middle of it, just jump in because I'm just reading it here, not paying attention to you, uh, where he refereed a few matches. But apparently that was a change from what he and Nobbs were originally planned to do. There was a six man between uh, Scott Hall, Greg Gagne, and Leon White versus Zabisco, the Super Ninja, and Mr. Saito. Jerry said that the finish was botched, which led to Greg and Leon attacking a post-match because Sags, quote-unquote, ruined the match since the idea was supposed to have Scott Hall pinned by Saito. Now, do you remember any aspect of how this match went down and filmed from a production standpoint? Uh, so as far as how the match went down, uh, I'll refer to what I had said earlier. I wasn't involved in the booking. I was involved in the production aspect of it. So um, I, I remember the match. I remember the finish. I remember Greg being absolutely pissed in the ring, uh, saying something to the effect of screaming at Sags, what are you doing after what really was a, a bungled finish? Um, so that that's the best that I can tell you as far as behind the scenes for the match production wise see december of 86 i gotta put my my memory cap back on gets a little tougher as you get older um there was only at that time there were only two directors it would have been mike shields and al derusha and i'm going to say that it would have been mike shields that directed that show uh, it, the, the thing that I remember production-wise about it, it, it was a rare uh, a rare taping, and it, yeah, still taping, videotaping back at the time. Uh, when we did the arena matches in St. Paul, we recorded every one, but it was typically with one camera. And I was the guy, after... I got trained in initially. I was the guy standing on top of that platform recording it with one camera. But this one, it was a four camera shoot. Very different. Not something that was uh, commonplace for the AWA mm -hmm. uh, at the Civic Center. Um, but that's about it. It was always fun to do a multi-camera shoot. Uh, get that adrenaline flowing as opposed to just a, a, a one camera. Uh, I can say one little side note about doing the one camera. Vern would always, he hated it and he came up with the term tight itis. You could not get zoom in too close. He hated it at, uh, at the arena matches. Uh, he hated it at, uh, um, why, why, doing... why, why, why did he hate when you zoom, when you because got it? It would a two things. It could expose the business cause you might see the guy's, you know, in a headlock uh, and saying okay. something. But the other thing, Vern always wanted to see all of 
the action. And he was always afraid if you zoomed in too close that you wouldn't see the move or the hold that was being applied. If you take a, you know, go watch any of the old all-star wrestling shows from, from the studio matches. Um, it was a two camera shoot. That's all it was. And it was 99% of the time it was on a wider shot. That was just Vern's mm. preference, but he would, he would always complain about Mike Shields because Mike was a director. He had been in wrestling forever. He liked to get close-up shots. And Vern, oh, geez, that fucking tight-itis. Well, Vern, welcome to television in the 1980s. Yeah. And, what you, you know, you mentioned the four-camera shoot, too. I mean, you know, being in your position, you talked about it, you know, kind of being – I would imagine that you just – you have more options. You have more ability – to kind of, you know, up the production because you've got more camera, more camera angles, which gives you more ability to create a little bit differently. Of course, if you take, go back and take a look, I got to believe it's on YouTube. I mean, what what isn't on YouTube or on social media nowadays? Uh, what you're, what we were able to do in that particular show is like show close-ups of the fans. It wasn't just a one-camera wide shot where the ring was lit with the five vapor lights, which, by the way, I still love that old school look. And then the, the crowd was, it was dark. So you couldn't really, all you saw in a one camera shoot was a mass of people. When you had a multi-camera shoot, you could, your you know, handheld camera at ringside, you could get a shot of, uh, of fans and, and brings up a note. I'll ask you a question about this in a, in a second, Mick. But you could, you know, t brighten it up, turn up the iris, turn up the gain, and show the crowd's reaction around ringside. So to get back to my question for you, Mick, I remember an older fan who would always sit ringside, who would always be flipping off the Bobby Heenans and so forth of the world. Do you know who that was? Yes. Sadly, <laughs> I know his name too. Can't tell you what I, you know, had for breakfast. Um, his name was Frank Stutkin. And Frank not only did this, but I mean, he did every contortion imaginable. And the wrestlers would come out of the ring, you know, it got to be a running joke. They'd go face to face with Frank, and he'd stand up and he'd flip the bird right into, you know, Adrian Adonis's face or what have you. But yeah, just one of the characters. Uh, from ringside just a real quick mike shield story uh joe i don't know if you remember this or not when i started with the awa in 87 we're at the showboat in vegas and they're doing an angle where medusa michelli has been uh she is now dj peterson's valet for a month he won her services for a month and i forget what it was but i was looking at medusa in the corner ranting and raving and i made a comment about it on the air with Rod Trongard. I was doing color. And in my earpiece, Mike Shields said, you stupid son of a bitch. And I, you know, well, you got my attention. He says, are we showing that shot right now? You know, and they weren't. They weren't showing the shot. The camera was somewhere else, which, of course, is the cardinal rule. If you don't see it on the monitor, nobody sees it at home. Don't talk about it yet. It hasn't happened. So Mike Shields quickly got me back to, uh, you know, home base. Talk about what's on the monitor, not what you're seeing. 
I, I mean, I understand both sides of it, to be honest, that as a director, you know, you, you want, you, you want the pictures, the visuals to match the audio. Right. But I understand your viewpoint because <laughs> wrestling cuts, wrestling action happens fast. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to put over, not only in this, in this instance, not only put over Medusa, but to put over the angle of Medusa's, I'm guessing, really shitty reactions to uh, to DJ Peterson in the ring. So you're going to catch 22. You need to cover it, but you know she probably took to the shot, and maybe it was up there for three seconds. How much can you sell in three seconds? Exactly. So I, th- this is kind of a question I've never asked you this, Mick, and I'm surprised that I haven't asked you this in any sense. Uh, you know, whether on the podcast, off the podcast, whatever. And I think it's a question maybe a lot of people have. So when you're there and you're calling a match, are you looking at a monitor or are you looking at the ring? You, you are looking at a monitor. Okay. Um, you know, and, and Rod Trongard, for example, when he would do the matches at the St. Paul Civic Center, he mm-hmm. was way in the back. He was in, in the back area by the locker room. He wasn't up close looking at the ring. You know, so he's way on the other side of the arena using a TV monitor. Okay. And again, that kind of goes to the point. This is what the people are seeing at home. Comment about this. And then to Joe's point, yeah, you know, the action is all over the place in wrestling. Sometimes you're distracted. But, yeah, for the most part, a monitor. You know, going on what you said, Mick, Rod had it um, easier than in the situation that you were describing because, again, I was on a wide shot. So no matter what he was talking about that was happening, it was in the shot. When you've got a four camera shoot with two handhelds, one on each side, and you do a close up, you don't see the action that's going on in the ring. So it, there is a challenge. And anybody that thinks that they can do color commentary or play by play for a professional wrestling match with one camera, let alone four, it's not as easy as you think. Thank you, Phil. And I I so am thankful that you guys could kind of have that exchange because I think that in terms of the production, like you guys working hand in hand, kind of taking us through step by step with Joe, what you do and what you, you know, how you affect what Mick does and, and vice versa and how it's kind of a delicate balance, right? I mean, it's a, it's a dance. I mean, you both have to be, you have to be in sync with it. And I think that's, to me, that's just so interesting, but yeah, I can't believe that I've never asked you that question, Mick, about if you're looking at what's actually happening or if you're actually, if you're looking at a monitor. So I appreciate you guys kind of going into a little bit of depth with that. Cause I think that's probably something a lot of people are, are wondering. Um, well, here's uh yeah. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Oh, I no, thought somebody no. said, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought I, I thought I heard something. That might've like been me clearing my throat after having yet another sip of coffee. Are Better than a burp. In, uh, are you having it in your slick Mick cup? I'm a slick Mick guy. Because if you're not, nope. you should. And you know how you can do that. You can just go to uh, T Public slash user slash uh, Unleash Plus, and you can buy get- your buy your coffee cup now while there supplies you- last. There you go. You can have that. <laughs> uh, you can have a brand new. Well, you can't have it. You got to purchase it. But you can get an Unleashed. 2022 we got a whole brand new line of merchandise you can get stickers you can get magnets whole bunch of stuff okay uh, so our next question 
Hey, I, <laughs> hey, I, I have to get it. Hey, we're halfway through the show. I know, I know. I know. Uh, this is from Les Zeminski. Okay. He says, thanks for bringing the AWA podcast to fruition. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you for that. Thanks, My Les. question for you, for you, Chris, of the remaining AWA guys still out there, sadly a dwindling number, who would you personally like to have on the show? I think the one name that comes to mind for me, and it's probably the name, guys, that you get asked the most as well, and that is Greg Gagne. Because I think that you want to talk about, I mean, we know this was Vern and Wally, like this was their baby. And Greg grew up in the business. He was as big a part of the AWA as anybody. And I, I know that we've had talks about, you know, having uh, having Greg on. And it would be great to have Greg Gagne on. The problem that we're running into is that sometimes there's a revisionist history. And we know that that is kind of one of the things that, that Greg is known for. And that's, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm fine. That's, that's cool. But there's a certain thing on this podcast, guys, that we don't want to be kayfabe. We don't want to be bullshitted. We want you guys, we want you guys to get as much of the unfiltered truth as we know, or as you guys remember. And again, it's just, it's just what it is nowadays. And that's no, I'm sure he's, you know, it would be great to have him on. They're just, there are some, I just want to be able to get something that's not kayfabe. And I guess that's kind of the, that's kind of the problem that I'm, I'm running into. If you could get the, the, I want to say the truth, but you guys know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to ride that fine line. It, it's not just Greg, you know, I mean, Greg is the glaring example, I guess. And, and with due respect to Greg, some things he doesn't remember, he, yeah. he seriously does not. You know, you wrestled for that many years, you're around the business, you don't remember facts and figures. I think where we have or we would have the problem with Greg or anybody is yeah. just what you said, Chris. We're in a rock and a hard place then. We bring on a guest and we ask him a question and, you know, it's blatant that he's kayfabing. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Do we call him on it, alienate the guest, and go into a back and forth for a half an hour? And that's or, not fair. Yeah. Right. Or do we just let it slide and then we look like idiots and then we get the, the emails. Why didn't you call him on that? God, Mick, you've been around 100 years. You know better than that. So it's a tough, tough balance. So, uh, but I, I would love to get Greg on. I mean, if if anybody represents AWA at this juncture, it's Greg Gagne. And, and let me say, I have an immense amount of respect for Greg Gagne. Yes. Like, people shit on him very unfairly. Like, Greg Gagne is absolutely an essential part of this fantastic territory, this promotion that we're talking about. It would not be what it was if it was not for Greg Gagne because he was so influential in a lot of the success that this company had. My two cents is this. Greg is a phenomenal storyteller. If you 
keep the perspective of remember the the uh, Mick would remember this maybe more than Chris or some of our older uh, listeners the old game of operator where one person tells a story to another person and then another and another and by the time you get to that third fourth or fifth version the of the telephone game it changes exactly yeah. the, the, the stories change I'm sure that there's stuff that I've said that that I believe 100% that's the way that it happened. But somebody else that was involved in that same situation says, yeah, but. So in, in that regard, um, I, I would I, we need, I really, really, really want Greg Gagne on the show. And my last piece there is... If we can have Marty Janetti <laughs> doing the the triple X version of the podcast Ooh. on the show, yeah. If Greg comes in and embellishes a little bit, the whole kayfabe thing. I mean, I, I, he's gotten a lot better with it. I worked with Greg uh, uh, for Power with Power Town Wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there there's stuff that he'll say to me, and it's like, well, yeah, but you know, this, this, and this, and. He'll either say, I don't remember it that way, or you're right. I just, it's anybody. Greg is just under more of a microscope because he's Greg Gagne. He's been on yeah. a million podcasts, been in a lot, you know, million live meet and greets and so forth. All of that aside, it's AWA Unleashed. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear AWA? Gagne. Gagne, yes. Yep. Uh, just, just one more quick point on that. Part of it, too, is an intense loyalty to the AWA and wanting to keep the AWA in a good light. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what Greg will talk about where he tends, you know, might bend the truth a little bit, is if there's an aspersion being cast on the AWA. Uh, he's not unlike his dad in that respect very very loyal and defending of the awa even nick bockwinkle nick would you know towards the end of his career he would open up a little bit in shoot interviews but there was that old school defend the business defend mm -hmm. the awa mentality and in that respect you know i i have i have respect for greg ganya we'll figure it out we'll get there yeah yeah absolutely and the awa had its warts Every promotion, everything in life has their warts, and I, yeah, I would I would love to because again, the amount of respect that I have for Greg Gagne is it's it's immense. So I don't want people to think that I'm shitting or anybody shitting on it. I would love it. Like he's yeah, he he's Minnesota wrestling loyalty or yes. royalty loyal. We're all loyal. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Okay. Uh, we're not going to get to all of them here guys, but we'll get to a, a few more here. Uh, for you, Mick from Isaac white, love the great shows you guys deliver each week. My question is this. I know that the crusher and the bruiser really weren't cousins. I recall crusher had a brother that he teamed with early on. Was he also kayfabe? Yes. Uh, crusher and bruiser, of course, no, they were not really cousins. Uh, they looked alike. They sounded alike. They wrestled alike. So, you know, it's, it's pro wrestling. Make them cousins. Uh, Crusher also teamed up with a man. Uh, his real name was Stan Hollick, and that is Stan on the left. Stan uh, wrestled as Stan Lasowski 
So they were the Lasowski brothers, Stan and Reggie. The interesting thing about this is that Stan went on to team up with Art Nielsen. And now they were the Nielsen brothers. And at one time, Crusher teamed up with Art Nielsen as well, but not as brothers as Art Nielsen and Reggie Lasowski. So you had that that threesome going back and forth, you know, kind of the uh, the interchange there. But no, Stan Hollick, a great wrestler, but he was not a real-life brother of uh, the Crusher. Mick, question for you. When did Reggie Lasowski become the Crusher? As early as I can figure it, just historically, Joe, I'm going to guess about 61-ish. I know that in the late 50s, he was still wrestling in the Minneapolis Territory as Lasowski. You know, when he came back here in 1962, uh, he was already the Crusher. But he had worked in Pittsburgh uh, as Crusher Lasowski. So I would guess probably 60-61 is when he made the, the transition. Cool. All right, I'm going to bring me back in. Uh, we'll do a, a couple more here, guys, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up, and we'll have more to uh, we'll have more to to roll over. Uh, this one is for me from Paul Olinger. Uh, just curious as the brain trust behind the pod. Thanks for the hard work. I appreciate it, Paul. Uh, I enjoy it. Can you get your personal feelings after the Marty Janetti episode. Part of the time I was entertained, but it got to be too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, there were, there were times where, I mean, I had to cut out a couple of stories because I felt like they were a little over the line and that's what you were going to get with Marty Janetti. We kind of knew that going in. Um, I wish we would have gotten more wrestling with it. I mean, obviously the the partying was a big part of it and that's a, a big part of his life. And, and that's again, that's just, that was what we kind of knew we were going to get in. I, I, I would have liked a little bit more uh, focus on the, the wrestling and kind of his, his ascension into the AWA and more about the, the Rose and Summers. Cause I would have loved to have heard more about that and, and really how the four of them work together. And, you know, again, go back to the, the uh, match at the showboat. Uh, it, it did, it did veer off a little bit too much for my liking, but we, I felt like we kind of knew that going in. And again, I think Marty first time, like Marty did not have to do that. He was willing to come on. And anytime that somebody's willing to come on and at least give us the time, I'm very, very much appreciative of that. But I, I understand where it wasn't for everybody. And yeah, th- there were, there were times where it did, veer off into a little bit more of the territory that I would have liked to have to a little little more focus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and Chris, you're aware, Joe and I um, tried to kind of rein Marty in on occasion to get him to talk about the matches or what have you. It's kind of like when you talk about your high school days, do you remember what you learned in geography class or do you remember the parties, you know, after that's that's just it. Like, yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, Marty, all the wrestling, all the matches, the hundreds, thousands of They kind of run together. They run together. But the parties and the mm-hmm. women and whatever, they kind of stand out. And, yeah, it got a little uncomfortable. And I, I will tell you by the response that we got, it, you either loved it or yeah. you hated it. And we got both. 
Yeah. I have nothing more to add because you guys covered it exactly. My my same sentiments and feelings. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, this one uh, for both of you guys from Retchie Hammonds. I've read some reports on the internet about Bob Backlund having an outburst at Vern Gagne's funeral. Uh, did that really happen? And were either of you there to witness or verify it? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what you can what you can really say about this. You know, there's a part of me that wants to hopefully believe this was just a work and Greg was in on it, but I, I don't think so. Uh, basically, what you had was Greg was eulogizing his father, and Bob Backlund was in attendance at the back of the uh, at the back of the church, and. Out of nowhere, Bob starts cutting a promo, and I mean he's he's loud. He's talking about how can you how can you ignore him, you know, Mister Backland and this and that. I mean it was just so inappropriate and so I don't you want to say it was out of character because there's Bob Backland stories, but it was kind of shocking for people. And I remember Greg saying, "Who is that?" You know, and somebody said, "You know, it, it's Bob Backland." So the hope was always there that maybe they had hope against hope that maybe they had something devised that they thought was going to be funny. It wasn't funny. It was inappropriate. And it went over like a fart. It was bad. Bob cut a good promo at the time, I will have to say. But it was sort of like, it's okay to be naked at home. But if you're going to, you can't be naked in a church. It might be funny, entertaining, whatever, comfortable at home. But it was very inappropriate to me. I remember hearing him and watching him. And I had the first initial reaction. It's like, is this a work? I quickly knew that it wasn't because Greg would not do that to Vern. And at one point, I just did the old, you know, rub the forehead sort of cover. Um, I was embarrassed, to be honest, uh, for Bob Backlund. And... Vern got, fortunately, Vern got the fitting tribute that he got, even with Larry the X hunting, <laughs> doing, doing his little shtick. Um, but that was private. And Bob did this in the middle of a eulogy. I'm sorry, just highly, highly inappropriate. So, yes, it did happen. Yes. Yes. And uh, last one here, guys. I'm going to go down to uh, to number 13, uh, this is for uh, for you guys from Lisa Ray Carlson. Didn't Kurt Hennig's daughter wrestle, and whatever happened to her? I love Kurt Hennig's daughter. She is such a sweetheart, and that is Amy Hennig. And Amy got into the business. Uh, she was in for a all-too-short amount of time. I saw her wrestle once live in person uh, at the cauliflower alley club event and she was terrific she was not only the spitting image of kurt i believe she used a a superplex uh or perfect plex as you will uh for her finisher great talent i know i talked to amy many years ago about why things kind of derailed wwf or wwe was looking at her um potentially to bring her in at least for a tryout and it never came to fruition. Uh, Amy is, uh, you know, doing another line of work now. She's totally removed from the business. 
She has a great, good-looking family and uh, more power to her. But she was really, really a gifted wrestler. And I'm sorry things didn't pan out for her in the business. She does look like Kurt. Uh, first thing that stands out to me is the blonde curly hair. Yes. That's what Kurt had when he became Mr. Perfect and his end of the run at the AWA. There it is. I mean, I, I, that's a first thing that I noticed on uh, on, on Amy. I've not had the pleasure of meeting her um, yet, although I may have met her. Kurt may have brought her into the office when he had to stop by and pick up a check or something, but she would have been very young at the time. But uh, I, I wish she would have stuck with it. It would be great to have a Henning in the business being over in the business today, but sadly, it's not. And she's happy where she is, so God bless her. Great. Yep, and ultimately, that's uh, that's what you want. You want to be happy and uh, happy in life. Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and end it there, guys. If uh, if that's cool, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up with the shout outs and uh, take it home. So let's uh, let's go to the shout outs here, Mick. Dean Carlstrom, boy, this guy is a loyal loyal viewer of the podcast and of the Slick Mick page, of the Unleashed page, old school guy, and always has comments or suggestions. So Dean Carlstrom, we really appreciate you, buddy. My shout out goes to uh, Nathan Cron. Nathan is a volunteer color commentator for uh, a local uh, high school. Uh, that I direct their sports for, and he's an old-time AWA fan. And at one point, uh, well, when he does the color com color commentary, he'll always give the crew credits online. And I have to say, little pat on the back, we actually are an award-winning production company doing uh, doing the sports. But Nathan will always refer to me as Polish Joe Chupik directing tonight, and. We'll talk about the previous podcast or whatever. And yeah, he mentioned the Marty Janetti one and just sort of, wow. <laughs> we'll leave yeah. it at that. But Nathan Cron, shout out to you for listening. And uh, mine's going to go out to uh, someone who just recently became a, uh, a member of our uh, pinfall tier. And that is uh, Bruce Facenti. And uh, Mick, this is someone that you know well. Bruce Facenti, for those uh, old old uh, PWA Eddie Sharkey promotion fans, he wrestled here in the late 80s, early 90s as the Shocker. Uh, big man, I believe they build Bruce. I believe he actually lives out in the Boston area. Uh, big, tough kid, and I uh, haven't seen him for a lot of years, probably 30 years, but glad to have Bruce on board. Great guy. 30 years ago. Stop and think about that. That was only 1994. Oh, God. I... It, 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 30 years ago, just it doesn't seem like 1994 mm. was that long ago. Where the hell did time go? Scary. Scary shit, man. Yeah, yep. and uh, it, it it really is. So, um, yeah, I want to thank you guys for uh, for tuning in again as well. You, know, you want to become a member, just hit the join on our, our YouTube. We're going to have some watch-alongs coming up. Uh, we're going to have some live chats coming up. And you guys are not going to want to miss that trust. That's for, basically, for $5 a month, you guys are going to get things that you're not going to get on the normal YouTube channel. So 
Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, Bruce and uh, Paul Neely, um, send me your address so I can get you guys, uh, so I can get settled up with you guys. You can either DM it to me or uh, just email at awaunleashedpodcast@gmail.com um, so I can uh, so I can get that uh, out to you guys. And then uh, yeah, sign up for our, uh, to, 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 to become a fan of our fans page on Facebook with Brandon and Jeremy and Brian. They do a great job. And uh, that's uh, that's about it. I can't think of anything else that I, I want to put out there. Run, don't walk to T Public, and subscribe. That's it. <laughs> I thought that was a nice nice close for once. Well, yeah, I mean you know we're semi cordial sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>